0: Everyone. Welcome to today's episode of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast, sponsored by Overdrive. As always, you can follow us at ProBookNerds on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, and we'd love to hear from you, so send us a note at ProfessionalBookNerds at Overdrive.com. Be sure to let us know if you have episode ideas, feedback, and don't forget to send us your reading challenges. Now, we're doing something different for today's episode. I'll be speaking with Penny Reed. She is a longtime friend of the professional book nerds, and this will be her fourth appearance on the podcast over its seven, eight-year history. Now, a bit about Penny. Penny Reed is the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and USA Today bestselling author of the Winston Brothers and Knitting in the City series. She used to spend her days writing federal grant proposals as a biomedical researcher, but now she writes kissing books. Penny is an obsessive knitter and manages the Own Voices focused mentorship incubator slash publishing imprint Smarty Pants Romance. She lives in Seattle, Washington, with her husband, three kids, and dog named Hazel. And today we'll be talking about a wide variety of things from the queen of self-publishing, indie publishing, Penny Reed. I hope you enjoy this episode. Happy reading. Hi, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of the Professional Book Nerds podcast. I would like to say a warm welcome to today's guest, Penny Reed. Welcome. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be back. I am so excited to have you back, especially because I'm a host now, and previously could only listen to your prior episodes done by my wonderful colleagues Adam and Jill. Uh, so welcome! It's been a few years uh, since we had you on the podcast. It has.
1: It has been a few years. I it, the last couple of years are a bit of a blur. So. Um, it, it honestly feels like it hasn't been a few years. It feels like we just did this a little bit ago, but, uh, yeah, I guess when I consider reality, yeah, it has been a couple of years.
0: Yeah. Timing is weird. So, I mean, just on this podcast alone, we have new hosts, we lived or managed through a pandemic, And I know this is your, I I did a little research before, so you were on three prior episodes of the podcast, the last being at some point in 2020, which does feel like a fever dream ago.
1: Oh my gosh. Okay. Wow. So it has Mm -hmm. been a while. And you know, I'm going to just, I'm going to admit that I didn't realize I had been on three. So I feel like I should get maybe a jacket made with an emblem that says four, you know, yes. or
0: Peter's Club, or however you. I, uh, I think we need like a patch or a pin or something because it is a, a rare club. It may or may not be the most. Are you serious? I, okay. Yes. Pins I, are
1: required. Some pins are required.
0: Of, <laughs> right. I think maybe Marie Benedict has been on Oh, the equivalent amount, but I'm I, no one. Someone fact check me, <laughs> but you're absolutely in the top of repeat return guests. Um, but I am so thrilled to have you here today because it's been so long. Well, and I'm also,
1: thank you so much for asking me back. It's like, um, you know that you're, well, I, I suspect that I'm a pretty okay guest if I'm asked back more than once.
0: Yes. And
1: so I appreciate that. I do.
0: Absolutely. And so I do have to start, if you'll indulge me with a little story. Sure. Um, so I want to say thank you to you specifically, um, because your books are the reason that I fell in love with the romance genre. Oh, great. I I was like very firmly into thrillers and YA. I was like, I I was one of those people that was like, Ugh, I will not read romance. <laughs> and in 2016, one of my OverDrive colleagues said, Emma, why don't you just try? truth or beard. And oh. I was like fine I'll I'll give it a go. The covers are cool. Uh we've got, you know, bearded men and romance. Um and pretty much the rest is history. Like listeners of the podcast these days will know that I um almost exclusively and annoyingly talk about romance. So I did just want to say thank you for, you know, the Winston brothers and the rest of your books. It it was just a a domino effect. Once I had read the Winston brothers, I needed it in the city. I needed just everything basically you've ever written. So thank you.
1: (laughs) Oh, I, well, thank you for the great feedback. I mean, it's, and also the kind words it's, you know, writing is very, I, I say this, that writing is a very lonely profession where you're, I mean, it, it is, and it isn't because you're spending a lot of time with a lot of people, but they're all inside your head. And you don't know if what you're putting out on the page is something that's going to connect with real humans other than, you know, yourself, if you can consider yourself a real human at any point. Yeah. So I I do appreciate the feedback and it's, it's, it's always a bit of like watching a, a car accident in slow motion, but obviously without the injuries and the death, um, or potential death that, um, And you just don't know if people are going to be able to connect with it or not. So I do appreciate your kind words. Thank you so much.
0: Oh, well, thank you for letting me fan a little bit as we start. So I asked you here under several pretenses. And so I'm just (laughs) going to pepper you with a lot of questions if you'll indulge me. Absolutely. To to me, you are sort of the one uh, author that I look to who seems to be really innovating or really succeeding with self publishing independent publishing so i know in past episodes of the podcast you talked about doing things like social media and designing your own book covers and so i wanted to talk a little bit about that indie sort of self publishing aspect you know what is it like to do a lot of these things you know yourself or with a small team
1: uh, I do have a small team, so I have to give a lot of credit to the two individuals who work with me full time. So that would be uh, Brooke and Fiona, who are my full time team. And then I do have a number of professionals that I also work with, everything from developmental editors to um, copy line editors, proofreaders, several proofreaders. And then our, we've now amassed a team of illustrators as well. We've been doing a lot of illustration of scenes, um, illustrated characters for book covers. Um, I just did a Kickstarter this last year. So we did a massive illustration effort for that to have vellums and bookmarks and prints. And it's awesome to be able to do that yourself. Just I feel that way very passionately because I get to seek out other creative professionals who I admire and I get excited about working with, and then I can feed off of their energy, and hopefully they can feed off of some of my weirdo creative energy, and we can collaborate and work together. I think that there's definitely in traditional publishing that when you're working with a cover designer at a publisher, or you're, you know, working with an editor at a publisher, what I feel very blessed about, very lucky about is that I get to email somebody and say, hey. I would really like to work with you because I think you're awesome. And you're, as you said, innovative and interesting and doing new things. And um, sometimes they're like, who are you? How'd you get my email? (laughs) or Whatever it is. But you know, sometimes when um, the stars align, it's somebody who also knows who I am and would like to work with um, me and my publishing imprint. And they're excited about the work that we're doing. And it's just a lot of mutual, like, fangirling or fanboying or whatever it is. And it's great. It's it's a lot of fun. I feel so lucky. And I say this all the time, but I just feel so lucky that I get to do what I do. And I get to uh be weird on my I, I just get to I get to do things that are unusual and novel and I don't have to ask permission. So That's fun. That's a lot of fun. Like who gets to say that? Who gets to say, I don't have to ask anybody's permission to do what I want to do. So it's, it's awesome.
0: Yeah. And it's so cool. So, I mean, I've been a, a reader and a fan for, um, several years now and it's been really cool to see i mean number one thank you for the level with which you sort of produce new books because i've really never had a shortage <laughs> of new penny material to read but i'm curious to know what your process is like you sort of have you know several books a year come out you also have things that you're working on with a smarty pants throw sort of imprint so I'm interested to know like what your timeline is for things like you've got so much going on it seems like at any given moment
1: so we what I do is at the beginning of the year every year I review my five-year strategy so we have a I have a business plan that I come up with and we just continuously update it and then I have a one-year three-year and five-year for a strategy for Smarty Pants Romance, and then also for Penny Reed. And we take a look at what's novel out there, what's going on. So I'd love to, for as an example, something I would love to find a really good partner for is doing a webtoon. I would love to write a webtoon. I think that would be so much fun. And this is a bit shameful to admit, but I've been encouraging my daughter and her illustration and her drawing, hoping that one day I can get her to write a webtoon with me. maybe. It and I could write it, but um anything new and novel out there that's making the best use of current technologies, Uh, we try to evaluate what the plan is, what the, the strategy is for the next couple of years and then incorporate it. And then we also think, or I think about what is my wish list. So I've always wanted to do a cookbook, for example, because I love to eat. I love food. And so this year we're putting together a cookbook. Uh, Well, so we've been collecting recipes that I've mentioned in my books. And usually the recipes I mention in my books are ones that I have an actual recipe for, or one that, you know, I would love to be able to make something that I, you know, probably saw and put on Pinterest and thought, hey, I'd love to make that. So we are in the process. I, I flew my team up here. We took a class on InDesign, which is uh, a very oh gosh, it's like it's a ridiculous program by Adobe. I shouldn't say that. I should I should say allegedly ridiculous program by Adobe that does like absolutely anything you could think about doing with text and I guess, images, and it's just it's incredibly robust. And so we, I they came out here and we did a training, and we're put, doing the layout. We're doing the layout now for the cookbook and we commissioned 20 illustrations from Blythe Russo. Blythe Russo is a um, children's book illustrator who also reads my books and had done a piece of fan art and I just absolutely fell in love with it. And so then I reached out to her and then she ultimately did a paper doll book for the Winston Brothers series and then we built on that to do the scene illustrations for the cookbook. So she's doing the scene illustrations for the cookbook. And then we have a technical editor going through the recipes. And then we also have obviously a professional photographer taking the photos of the recipes and the steps and all of that. Um, but yeah, so that's coming out hopefully as part of the Winston Brothers Kickstarter, which should be next year or the year after. Um yeah. so yeah, cookbooks and and then the other thing is I partnered this last year with that was a lot of fun. And this isn't latest technologies, this is just like wish list stuff. I partnered with Marley Bird, who's a bit of an infamous knitwear and crochet wear designer. Um, if you're at all a knitting or yarn nerd at <laughs> all, and she was part of our Kickstarter for the Knitting in the City series, and she designed several patterns for us, and then we also partnered with Madeline Tosh. Who, again, if you're in the yarn world, you're like, oh, ah, Madeline Tosh. Because when they returned my email, I was so excited. Like, I just did a little dance in my office that Madeline Tosh actually would. They did a custom dyed lot yarn for us for the Knitting in the City Kickstarter. And that was so much fun. And so now I have like a, I have a warehouse full of yarn that we have to mail out. But who gets to say they have a warehouse full of yarn? I'm like, that's me. Yay. So it's not hoarding if it's for a Kickstarter, right? Absolutely.
0: So,
1: anyways. So um I don't I don't remember what your original question was, but hopefully that answers it.
0: Yeah. So no, if there's a lot that you there's a lot that you do, but I think one of the things that I enjoy as a reader is that there are so many added layers that you give us as readers, like for these characters. So Things like the paper dolls book, there was a knitting in the city coloring book. There's like bonus chapters and all of those things. I love that additional layer or those additional items because, I mean, I'm a romance reader. I will admit I can get a little bit obsessive when I find (laughs) something that I really enjoy, Um, which I'm glad you mentioned it. I do want to ask you about the Kickstarter campaign. So. You had this big Kickstarter campaign to celebrate the tenth anniversary for your Knitting in the City series. Yes, and it funded, like, in minutes. Yeah,
1: so, in minutes. <laughs> all right. So I like to tailor my expectations to um, reality. So i I don't like to i I don't like to take for granted that mm-hmm. anyone who's purchased one of my books in the past is ever going to purchase the next one. Right, and so that's hopefully, hopefully that's how I keep quality up is that never resting on my laurels, always trying to do something new and fresh and innovative in the books. But then also I come from a background of fandom. So I used to write fanfic, yeah. used to, and probably still am quite obsessive about my favorite things. My daughter asked Sometimes she'll ask me, Hey, are you mad at me? Just because you know I'm getting older and wrinkles and whatever. And so my face looks mad sometimes. And I'll often respond to her, Well, I'm only mad at you if you've badmouth Final Fantasy 7. because that's the only time <laughs> I get mad at anybody is if they have anything negative to say about whatever it is I'm passionate about or really love. Um so the Kickstarter, we decided to do the Kickstarter for that reason because when I put projects together, I, I asked myself, okay, me as a fan, if I were a fan of X, what would I want? Right. So if I were a fan of a niche independent author, which I is what I consider myself a very niche, very, I don't have a giant audience. I have a very niche audience who wants to read about nerdy ladies, you know, and really flawed characters and I don't know that that's the what wi- wider public who wants to re- read those books that tends to be a niche audience. And uh if I were a fan of this what would I want? And so the Kickstarter came out of that and then also since we are since I do have my the imprint of Smarty Pants Romance we needed to raise funds to start looking at pushing those books into bookstores to do print runs and hire a sales force and have a warehouse and, uh, go through distribution channels. So we did the Kickstarter for that. the Winston brothers that's coming up any profit from that will also be using to do the uh, massive print run bookstore effort. So to start a print arm division of uh, smarty pants romance, that's what the Kickstarters are for.
0: That's so incredible. And i the minute that you started posting about the Kickstarter for the 10th anniversary, I was like gripped by every single update. (laughs) It is so cool because this is exactly the type of thing. And I love that you came from this place. Like the if you were a fan of something, what would you want to sort of celebrate and, you know, have some things from this world? And I am absolutely chomping at the bit for the Winston Brothers Kickstarter.
1: Oh, I am so, I am so excited. We learned so much from the Knitting in the City Kickstarter. And I got to po- I gotta pause for a second and just give mad props to the people who work at um, Kickstarter and to the team over there because they are incredible. And... Anytime that we had issues or questions, or the readers, my readership had issues or questions, they were on top of it and they did a great job. What an awesome community. And that thing that we're allowed to do now as a society is fund creatives in this way. So, these really cool mechanisms for creatives and creative professionals to actually make a living now. Whereas before, there used to be all these gatekeepers. Now creative professionals can use Patreon, have a Patreon account and have a stable monthly income or do a Kickstarter because they have a really cool, ingenious idea and and then the world at large can fund it. What a great time to be alive. You know what I mean? Whereas before it was all these levels of bureaucracy or it's like you could only get in the door if you looked a certain way or you wore certain clothes and now it's anybody it's now it's much more of a meritocracy in terms of and I know that's a that's a dirty word for some people but that you can have a great idea or have an idea that maybe just a small number of people think is great but they feel passionately about it and then you can actually make it happen for yourself you can be a real entrepreneur so and that's just you know now I'll get off my soapbox but I That's what's so great about this time is, you know, it used to be just maybe self-publishing, but now self-published authors, other creatives are using not necessarily social media, but these tools that have been created to earn a living. Whereas before they would have had to, you know, have their nine to five and, you know, had their soul slowly sucked out of them or whatever it
0: is. Yes. It it sort of opens up those opportunities for these things that were maybe a lot more rigid before you just have more opportunity and, and more diversity in these different, you know, yeah. fields. Yeah. And then more needs and wants being met, right? Yes, exactly. And so I am waiting. I know you just did the Kickstarter for Knitting in the City, and it's going (laughs) to be a hot minute, but I am obsessively checking (laughs) for news of the Winston (laughs) Brothers um, because that's my favorite.
1: (laughs) Well, we have some big plans. Like I said, we have the cookbook, we have the illustrations. Mm -hmm. Um, We're looking at having some new partners this time for um, creative collaborators uh and products etc etc i've been doing a lot of i do a lot of the design work myself i did the design work for the knitting in the city um covers and all of that so i'm doing a lot of design merchandise work but at the same time i'm trying to write a book and then at the same time i'm also trying to um finish up some covers for smarty pants romance for our launch in the spring so in terms of i think you at one point asked me about like what is my schedule it's more like um I I have a strict uh, schedule for writing. I have to write a certain amount every day. I have to be writing every day. Otherwise, I it's a skill that I lose rapidly or it's hard to get back into. And then the rest of my day is filled with either reaching out or collaborating with a, another creative professional or it's um, doing administrative work, reviewing contracts, you know, all of, that, all of those non-fun kind of things that you don't really... I don't know that you really think about when you think about an author but uh, I do a lot of that.
0: No, and you definitely don't think about it. And and so I'm glad you mentioned you have Smarty Pants Romance which is your imprint or your sort of publishing arm and I'm interested to hear a little bit more about it. You talked about some of the funding from the Kickstarter going to things for the imprint. What does all of that entail? I mean, you're you're working with all these other authors, you're creating cover art, and um, working to push some of those books into physical bookstores like could you tell us like a little bit about how how smarty pants romance sort of came to be
1: uh sure so uh, back in 2000, i guess 1718 time frame i was made aware of somebody had written a fanfic for uh my knitting in the city series they had written a fanfic about a couple of the characters in it and um It hadn't occurred to, it just felt incredibly meta. And I don't mean Facebook meta, I mean like the actual use of the word meta. And that I had come from fanfic and then had decided to write books. And then after a number of years, somebody had decided to write a fanfic for one of my books. That just felt beyond the realm of possibility. But so many things up to that point also felt beyond the realm of possibility. So here we are. So I became aware of the fanfic that had been written, had been published on Wattpad. And then I realized as I went through Wattpad searching for it, that there were also a number of other fanfics that had been written for my books around the same time. There had been a report that was, that came out, I think it was an entertainment weekly about the, the status of um, diversity and publishing. And there were these abysmal statistics about own voices, authors or authors from historically marginalized slashed excluded populations the rate at which they were being published. And it was really depressing. I mean, in terms of, let's say, and I'm pulling this st- statistic, I don't know what the current statistic is, but let's say the United States has, uh, it, it, its population is comprised of, let's say, 26% Black Americans. Well, the rate of published published authors who are Black Americans was something like, again, it, don't quote me on this. I, I want to say it was in the realm of less than 5%. And so if you have a population of over 25% of one group and less than 5% of, of that group is represented in publishing, well, that's a problem because that's a bias. And so my background is in biased statistics. So when I think about things, I think about things in data in aggregate, yada, yada, yada. And that is a, a bias. That's a, what's called a population or a selection bias. And so we have these stories that we're consuming, but only of the stories available, only five percent are representative of a twenty-five percent of the population. That's not appropriate. Like just from a pure numbers data perspective. So back back to um, all right. So I I, I have a. Tendency to go on tangents and want to put things in, like okay, let's say you had a population of. I was about to get into like PubMed articles and like intrinsic bias and inherent bias, and but nobody wants nobody on this podcast wants to hear about. That's not why we're talking. That's not why we're talking. Okay, so I thought to myself, okay, well, fanfic, and then I also thought to myself, okay, well, lack of diversity in publishing. What can I do that would make a difference? And I had already, I had already partnered with. um at the time I had already partnered with the Hispanic Federation for a fundraising effort for Hurricane Maria victims and then I'd been made aware of this other charity called College Track which is amazing everybody should look up College Track it's I'm not going to I'm not going to tell you what they do I because I want to just tease you all with how awesome and amazing they are because I want you to go to their website and look up College Track and then I want you to donate a lot of money to them And I'd been made aware of them, and I'd also done a fundraiser with them, and I wrote a book, and I donated the proceeds to them. And very, like, acutely aware of this problem of lack of authors being represented in publishing, it all just kind of... Over a series of conversations with author friends, I just decided, hey, what if I opened my own publishing imprint where individuals could write quote-unquote fanfic, but it would be accepted as canon, meaning it would be accepted as fact in the fictional universe, and our focus could be own voices, authors, and or diverse stories responsibly told. And so that's what I decided to do, was we opened it in 2019. We try to focus all of our breakout authors, ensuring that the majority, if not all of the breakout authors that we sign on are own voices authors. And then we have a number of established authors who have books published, who uh, publish with us, and we encourage them to write diverse stories responsibly told. Responsibly told means that the main character, if not based on their own experience, so not on voices, is based on somebody they know and... Goes through a series of sensitivity and content edits as well, um, so that's how Smarty Pants Romance came about. And our mission remains the same. This year, we're actually doing something interesting with our submission process. I think this is actually a scoop. So I Ooh, haven't yay. anywhere. Usually, we open submissions from uh, no- for the month of November, just because a lot of people are doing uh, nano um, But this year, instead, what we're going to do is we're partnering with Inkit. Which is a uh, for uh, I'm doing a lot of des- describing, but what they are is they are a website that hosts typically fanfic, uh, user-created content stories, and we're running a fan fiction contest through them for Penny Reed, and there'll be three um, winners, and the top prize will be a the opportunity to have a publishing contract with Smarty Pants Romance. But we wanted to try something new and different for submission for Smarty Pants Romance. So we're going to try doing it through a, a fan fiction channel so that we can get some, hopefully, um, people who are used to writing fanfic, get them give them an opportunity to get published with us.
0: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or Mc Crispy Sandwich. all of this came about from, you know, fan fiction based on some of your characters and just it grew into something that's so cool. And I often wonder, right, like what else is happening to these characters or, um you know, people, side characters we maybe meet in the Penny Reed universe. And I just think that everything that you're doing with Smarty Pants Romance is incredible. And I'm excited to see where it goes, especially with things like the Kickstarter funding and and other things like that. How cool. Oh, thank you. It's
1: um, it's very much a passion project. All of the income that it makes or all of the, I guess you could say, profit we reinvest back into the authors with either submissions to writing contests or conferences, um, obviously editing, audiobooks, all of that, cover design, creation, um, illustrations, et cetera, et cetera. So we take everything our, I guess portion of it and we reinvest it back into the authors. And I I'm hopeful, and we're really proud of this amazingly talented group of authors we've been we've been able to work with. And we're honored that they actually want to continue to write books with us. Our original goal was to publish one book for each person, take especially for the new authors, provide a welcoming, safe environment for them, because I don't know that welcoming is really a word associated with traditional publishing. And I say that with the caveat that I don't have any experience with with traditional publishing, so I'm probably wrong. Um, But that's been my impression. And so um, creating a welcoming space for these own voices, authors, ushering them through the publication of their first book. But then we found that people want to stay. And so we've had a lot of people who've stayed and written three, four, five books with us. We're now... Um, on the fifth book with some people which is just completely blows my mind and but as much as we try to push them out and say okay now it's time to go um, but we have been also really excited to see a number of our authors get get traditional publishing contracts Uh, kathy yardley for example who's one of our uh, launch one authors now writes with um amazon montlake which is really cool And so, yeah. And then Carla Sorensen, who's one of our authors, I think she just got a, I'm not going to tell you who she got a book deal with because I don't remember who (laughs) she got. She wasn't a breakout author. She was an established author, but it was really cool to see um, that people are leveraging this to have the careers that they want to have.
0: Yeah, and I think that that's really cool though, that you're creating, you know, a safe space or you're creating what I think you would hope their experience with publishing would be positive and nice. And, and if it's something then that they continue to do with your imprint, then that's fantastic. And if right, they use it as sort of a launch pad, that's also just so cool to just be contributing to the careers of so many different authors.
1: Yes. And also having that first experience or at least an experience with again, I'm going to put this in quotes like publishing, because our publishing is quite different than traditional publishing, but showing them perhaps what a healthy relationship would look like and giving them. So we get a lot of questions from our authors, like especially brand new authors will say, ask questions like, Hey, is this any good? Is, Is what I've written any good? And that's the last question anybody should be writing or asking about their book or anything that they're doing creatively. If somebody is a painter and they paint a picture or a sculptor and they sculpt something, they should never ask is this good because that's such such a subjective question. It depends on who you ask, right? And so obviously you can answer well, you can answer questions about grammar and that's why we have editors or whether or not the sentence construction is confusing or perhaps whether or not it um well anyway, but so it's not you an author should never ask the question is what I've written any good. The the question they should be a- asking is is there an audience for this? That's the question. So this is what I tell all new authors, especially when they start writing for us and then I can tell that they're struggling with oh will penny's readers like this. And what we try to do is we really try to focus on only having authors or books or stories and writing styles that my readership, we we do feel like my readership is going to enjoy. And it's something that they would enjoy anyway. But we want the authors to remain true to themselves and their own voice. We don't want them to write a book like Penny, right? We want them to write a book like Kathy or like Nancy or what we want them to write their own book, Because what we're trying to do is build an audience for them and their voice and their style. And if the book that they publish with Smarty Pants Romance is completely different than the the book that they self-publish or the book that they publish with the traditional publisher, well, then we've done them no service whatsoever. Because readers will feel betrayed if they pick up one book by the same author and it's completely different. It's a totally different lane than the book that they pick up the next time. So the answer I give them is, it write the book that you want to read and trust that readers are going to follow, right?
0: Yes, that's such a great point because I do think a lot of people like in creative industries or otherwise ask, right, is this good? And I think that that's so true. There are books for every reader and you, you've just got to get it into their hands.
1: Right, exactly. So it's what, and hopefully what we're teaching them is how to get it into the right reader's hands, how to get that exposure out there so that people become enough aware of you that you will cast that wide net so that you can find your readership. When we were doing the knitting in the city Kickstarter, I had, uh, there were a number of illustrators that I had submit a single scene illustration so that I could pick the one that I wanted to use for the So rather I could pick the collaborator I wanted for the knitting in the city series. So we had about three, no, we had five submissions of different illustrations of the exact same scene. They were all excellent. And so the question wasn't, are any of these good or good enough? It was, what was the vision that I had in mind for this particular Kickstarter? And that's the one that we ended up going with, not necessarily the best one, but the one that fit the vision. So it's not, again, in creative, in the creative world, it's not are you good enough? It's, are you the right fit at the right time for the right person?
0: Absolutely. And I think that that's so cool. And I, yeah, I just love everything that you're doing there. There's so much going on. And, you know, as a, I mean, as a reader of your books and and other books in the imprint, I absolutely can't complain that I have absolutely no shortage of things (laughs) that I can pick up at any time. So I know that your community of readers appreciates that.
1: That's that's also good feedback. I feel like we're having a, um, gosh, my vocabulary is failing me this morning. We're in the focus group. We're having a focus group right now. So I, I appreciate that feedback. Thanks.
0: Oh, anytime. And so I wanted to pivot a little and talk to you about a few of your upcoming releases.
1: Oh, yeah. So
0: okay. you've got Drama King. Oh, um, so Drama King released last year. That was Oh, uh, oh yes, that's right. As no I say the wrong one. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you're great. I have um
1: I had I wanted to write a holiday themed um series, trilogy, and it's called the Three Kings Trilogy. And um just because I again write the book that you want to read, and I really enjoy holiday themed uh series, ones that are written around the holidays. So I consider the holidays anytime, the time period of the year between Halloween and New Year's and so that's what I that's how I interpret it but I guess a lot of people interpret it as really that hallmark season of hot chocolate and uh Christmas trees but no, that's I, not that's not what people are going to get from this series They <laughs> get like the holiday beer from Halloween all the way through New Year. <laughs> that's what you get you get what you get and don't throw a fit and so um that's what I wanted to write and so the first book is Homecoming King And that, uh, came out. The other thing I really enjoy doing in my books, and I know this might be, I don't know, whatever, I'm not going to worry about it. Um, cause I don't, I don't worry about it. I like to take what are called romantic tropes. So things like marriage of convenience or a forced proximity or whatever that is. And then I like to, um, have it not turn out how it usually turns out. So, Uh, for example, there was a series I wrote a a long time, I guess it was 2015. It was called elements of chemistry and it was a trilogy and it was, uh, books that came out consecutively, one very quickly right after the other. And the question I was trying to work through at the time was what would happen if a kind of a, a, a nerdy, smart girl, um, and all girls are smart anyway, but this particular girl happened to be of a particular nature if she were pursued by this stereotypical that you could sometimes see in new adult books, this kind of like a pushy, rich, got handsome guy, like what would actually happen there? Right. And so the answer that I came up with was, and I don't, I don't know if you're going to have to beep this word out, but she wouldn't put up with his shit. Like that's basically the answer to that question. So I put this, Kind of, like, stereotypical nerd girl with the stereotypical pushy guy, and yeah, they, it didn't it didn't at all work like that was gonna have to something was gonna have to give, he was gonna have to change, and so that's ultimately what happened in the book is that uh, that's what happened. But the books that I had, re- I had read up to that point is that's not what happened, usually, the girl just kind of became a lamppost and put up with whatever it was that the guy wanted, and so I like the idea of taking it through and putting it through the washing machine of reality and seeing you know, how it came out. So what that's what it's something I wanted to do with the Three Kings series was take these tropes. So like sports romance and uh, unrequited love and forced proximity and uh, marriage of convenience and find out what happens. And it, it, again, putting it through the washing machine of reality and seeing what happens at the end. And it's always fun to do a romantic trope and apply reality to it because it it, the zaniest coolest things happen so yeah
0: yeah absolutely so yes to correct myself the next book in that three king series is prom king
1: oh yes yes right okay (laughs) that one is actually a retelling of a christmas carol by charles dickens oh my goodness perfect he, he is scrooge And he is all three of the spirits. Anyway, oh my gosh, I'm so excited about that one. So, yeah, so, and it's kind of like a
0: salacious setup. Um, Can I talk about that one a little bit? Yes, absolutely. I was going to say, what can you tell us about this one? (laughs) Okay,
1: so I'm going to leave out all the stuff about like uh, financial labor laws and hedge funds and all that. And I'm just going to focus on the fun, salacious, like gossipy part of it, which is that um there's actually a little bit of a prequel to that one that'll come out ahead of time and then there's the main book and the backstory is in a small town in texas right okay it's always great to do things in texas because everything's bigger in texas and i will refrain from following that statement up with anything else other than the story (laughs) so um so the story is that you got you got the girl Allison and Allison has a sister and Allison has parents. And then you got the guy Alaric and Alaric has uh, is the the um oldest son of a single mother. Anyway, so Allison's father leaves Allison's mother for Alaric's mother and then ends up raising the two sons as his own and neglecting Allison and her sister. So this is Alar- Alaric and Allison are step siblings, but were never raised together. And Allison has a deep, abiding fury and hatred for her father and Alaric, et cetera, et cetera, because her father's very successful in the town and, and she feels somewhat abandoned by the town. So she is our Scrooge character. And so she comes back to town after a number of years and has sneakily purchased her father's business and is now planning to sell the business off piece by piece, which would lay a lot of people off in the town. And then Alaric, um, because of a deal that they made when they were younger in high school, and I'm not going to get into that because that's a big spoiler, she agrees to spend three days with him and um, as he tries to change her mind about selling off the business. And then, so the book really... The the main part of the book are those three days that they spend together as he tries to convince her not to um not to dismantle her father's business. And it is so much fun. It, oh my goodness, to write him as those three different, you know, past, present, and future and incorporate some of the dickonisms in there and you know, I don't know. Anyway, it was it's just been a lot of fun to do a retelling of a book that I really love and have read. You know, so many times, um, yeah. So I think, I think A Christmas Carol is Charles Dickens' most cohesive book. A number of, and I'm sorry if there's uh, Dickens' classical PhD study out there, but I feel like a lot of his books are disjointed and the pacing is a bit off. But I feel like A Christmas Carol is just like really. Every every scene is important. Every line is important. The pacing is great. It's not at all his longest book. And that might actually be why. And I want to say it was a book that he kind of self-published. Um, I don't think his publisher... Wa- and don't Okay, don't quote me on this. This might be a rumor. <laughs> but I don't think his publisher wanted it. And he did it himself. And he lost money on it at first because he wanted the super fancy edition with all these color illustrations and whatnot and then it ended up taking off after the fact but yeah so it's just a if you ever read a christmas Carol, i mean everybody needs to read that just because it's such a great um it's such a great book but reinterpreting it in the modern with the modern lens and writing a female scrooge and a um a male the male as all three of the spirits it was just the best time to write it was so much fun
0: no, and I absolutely can't wait. It's the like retelling I didn't know I needed, but I'm absolutely <laughs> here for a Penny Reed version of A Christmas Carol.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited about it. So in case you couldn't tell, I get really excited about all my books. I, I Sometimes I get asked, like, what's your favorite book? It's like, well, whichever book I'm either writing right now, or what's my favorite book that I've written? And it's either- whatever book I'm writing right now, or whatever book I just finished, and I get overly excited about them. And so and so I've actually stopped reading reviews, I used to read reviews diligently to find out ways that I was failing as an author, not doing a good job, just so that I could improve. But at this point, uh, 10 years after my publishing my first book, I'm like, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm just going to write what I want to write. And uh, for better or for worse, that's what I've been doing.
0: No, I'm here for it. And so Prom King comes out um, later this year, and then you've got several 2024 releases lined up. Yes. I was just going to comment on the new covers for the Good Folk series.
1: Yes. So that was a collaboration with Liz Parks, who is an incredible illustrator. We sent her uh, poses for the Characters and like mock up poses for the characters, and she illustrated them. And then she just sent us a scene from each book that has been illustrated. And we're going to be uh, after the next book comes out in July, which is called So, okay, so this is a really good example of being a self published author and getting to do whatever you want to do. um So, the title, so this is called the Good Folk series, and the titles are <laughs> the titles are, um. <laughs> totally folk folk around and find out and all folked up right so if i were with a trad pub there's absolutely no way i would ever be able to have those as my titles is my suspicion and i've been told because i've asked so and then the other fun thing was the the winston brothers books when i wrote those the first book for that i was still working full time at the epidemiology center and writing was very much a hobby and I showed an author colleague of mine the mock-up for the cover, which is the cross-stitch cover. Mm-hmm. And this is a time where romance books really were not illustrated. They were uh, men and women on the cover or just a guy with no shirt on on the cover, which love those books, love those covers. But I didn't have a lot of money to spend on an exclusive photo. So I just was like, oh, I'll just make my own covers. And it's a hobby, so who cares? I'll just put whatever I want on the cover. And so that's how I came up with the cross-stitch cover. And my author friend was like, you cannot do that. You cannot put a romance novel out with cross-stitch on the cover. Nobody is going to buy that. I was like, I don't care if they buy it. I'm just doing it for fun. And so then now, you know, here we are. So it was just, It's just fun. I think self-publishing is a lot of fun because of how innovative you get to be.
0: Absolutely. And those are my favorite covers. I mean, well, they have a lot of good covers, but I do have a very soft spot for the cross-stitch beard covers.
1: Oh, thank you. That was so much fun. I I think I was giggling as I was making them, but you were asking about the the, um, Good Folk series. Yeah, we just recently had those recovered. They were Prior to that, they were the beard silhouette with um, folk art. And we moved to the illustration cover with Liz Park's design, central design. I designed the cover with the mock-up and then she, put, and then she did the character. Uh, and that has been so much fun. She is an incredible talent. She's on Instagram if you want to check her out. Uh, she does art also for other authors and their books and publishers. And she's just phenomenal. And I was introduced to Liz because she read, I think it was Elements of Chemistry, and had done an illustration of it for Frolic, which is an online uh, romance community, uh, or an uh, online community that ha- that focuses on romance. And I reached out to her and thanked her, and we traded a couple messages back and forth. And then last year, she did a fan art Of ten trends to my book, ten trends to seduce your best friend. So she did a fan art for that and posted it on her on her Instagram. It just went totally banana pants. And so I collaborated with her, and she's done ten total illustrations for ten trends to seduce your best friend. And we're putting together a special edition of that and. That's another plan. That's actually something I wasn't supposed to talk about. But anyway, anytime I get to collaborate with Liz is the best. She's awesome and amazing and has such great energy and such a huge talent. And that's awesome and fun. So she did the central characters for that. And then also she did some scene illustrations, which we'll be sharing soon. And then that's for the third book in the series is entitled All Folked Up. And if you are a reader of mine, if you're not a reader of mine earmuffs, you don't care about this. But if you are a reader of mine, um, the characters for All Folked Up are Isaac, who is Jen Sylvester's brother, older brother, who if you've read the Winston Brothers, spoiler alert, he's an undercover DEA slash FBI agent. So I guess the FBI and the DEA do this, where they loan each other agents but i found this out and i was so delighted by this that like there's as though he were a book you know he's he's being checked out by the fbi from the dea and then he has a due date i don't know it's just the coolest thing so they have a library of agents and they loan each other out and so he works for, he works for the dea was loaned out to the fbi went undercover with the bad motorcycle gang helped contribute to their downfall and then has disappeared from town. And so then this is the story of when he comes back into town and also a bit of a redemptioner, because let's be honest, he was a jerk, right? And um then his story with Hannah, who has been a character throughout the entire Winston Brothers series in the background and has a bit of a tragic backstory. Um but doesn't everybody really? <laughs>
0: yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, and what I love about her is that she is a former stripper, and so the book starts on her very last night as an exotic dancer, and then he walks into the club after having not been, you know, in town for years, and then that's where the book starts. So yeah, so I'm excited about that, and that one releases, I believe, in July. I believe that one releases in July. I'm,
0: yes, and I'm. We've got a. F- few months to go before that one's out but i'm really excited to see isaac's sort of redemption story because he's been a character i've been really curious about and you know would love to know more from the source
1: yeah he he was a character i was very curious about as well but i very much understood him especially his he had one standout scene that did not paint him in a good light in um uh, Beard science, where he encounters his sister in the in the grocery store and says some awful things, and then he also features prominently. In I wrote a ridiculous book about Jen and um, Isaac's mother, and that was so much fun to write. And that was also the same timeline as Jen and Cletus's second cozy murder. So he's been in a couple of books, primarily those three. So Marriage and Murder, Beard Science, and then um, Beard and Hiding. And so I feel like I know him really well now. Uh, I can't write a book for somebody I don't know. And so I feel like I know him really well now. And he is s- strange. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's a strange guy. So spending time with him was um, an interesting experience. There are some characters who, even after I finish writing them, they're still really loud. I would say he's definitely not one of those because he's a quiet person, um, uh, by nature, but examples of those would be people, people like Dan from Marriage of Inconvenience, the last book in the Nidig the City series, like every once in a while he pops up and it's like, oh my God, be quiet. Your book is over. Um, years ago, what are you doing here? You know, um, And then another character who's always been really loud is Cletus Winston from Beard Science. He's just constantly butting in. And so he shows up in books he shouldn't show up in just because he's like, hey, so I was in the neighborhood. And I'm like, all right, fine. I'll give you a cameo. So,
0: yeah. Uh, That's great, though. And a perfect segue to one of my last questions for you is about Cletus. (laughs) I know in your September newsletter, and I remember, like I trolled for this because I was like, I swear I read an update. The Cozy Mysteries with Cletus and Jen. Yes. So the
1: Cozy Mysteries with Cletus and Jen are on just a little bit of a hiatus. We, I signed a um, option deal with Tomorrow Studios for the Winston Brothers TV show. And so I have strategically decided to put a bit of a pause on the cozy mysteries until that TV show comes to fruition and then hopefully try and release the last two along with the TV show being released.
0: Amazing. And congratulations on the TV news. That was another thing of we, I saw that and just like shouted uh, with excitement. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited about it. I'm really, I'm very excited about it because I love uh, the producer who, acquired it and I'm super impressed with Tomorrow Studios who did TV shows like Hannah and Snowpiercer. And I just think that they're absolutely phenomenal. Last Man Standing, um, let the right one in. And I'm excited about working with that team. And I'm also just absolutely in love with the producer who acquired it and think she and she's from the South. So I, I think she knows what I was trying to do there. And she understands that perhaps the rest of the world, perhaps the rest of the country for better or for worse has this impression or there's a stereotype that individuals who live in the South are uneducated. And so there's a lot of stereotypes. Uh, I'm how many times can I use stereotype in a sentence? Let's find out. Um, anyway, so, and what I, I heavily leaned into that with the Winston brothers and all of the Winston brothers have names like Jethro and Cletus and, Uh, Billy and Dwayne and Bo, and the idea there was to lean into it really hard so that when the readers picked up Ashley's book, they were going to get this impression of just a bunch of hillbillies, redneck kind of guys, and then to dismantle that over the course of the book and make each of the brothers, this is Beauty and the Mustache, make each of the brothers truly a unique, individual, flawed person, because that's who we are. We're all individuals. Right? We're all part of whatever various groups we've been assigned to by society, but ultimately we are each individuals and should be approached and judged as such. And what better way to do that than to use this kind of um, unanimous stereotype that the rest of the country forces upon people in the South? So that was a lot of fun. And yeah, it's the same kind of thing, right? It's like you take a trope and you dismantle it. And so that's what I did with the Winston brothers, which was a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. And I love that though, that there's, I mean, there's so much more to these brothers than meets the eye. And that's one of the joys of reading the series is learning more and more about each one and then them collectively as a family, as you go through each book.
1: Oh, thanks for that. I, I have, they hold a special place in my heart. It, when I was writing Beauty and the Mustache which is Ashley's book and is the fourth book in the Knitting in the City series but became a bit of a prequel for the Winston brothers um I it's actually a romantic comedy about uh their mother dying so um yeah so I'm not really sure how many romantic comedies there there are about there about uh a, a mother going through hospice but that's what that particular book is about and uh I had to When I was writing and I had this idea that I really wanted to, again, dismantle these stereotypes. And so I went through and I created a backstory for each of the brothers for that one book. And that meant that I accidentally created created a plot for each of the brothers' books. So when people started saying, hey, we'd really like for you to write books about these, the brothers', it was already mapped out just because I had already done the legwork for Ashley's book. So that was a very happy accident.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Something that we've benefited from for sure. And one of the things that you mentioned, it's so funny to see how far you know things have come. The last time you were on the podcast talking about like who your ideal cast would be for any of these adaptations. And um, so I do second uh, Charlie Hunnam, who was mentioned the last time you were on, for <laughs> Drew. <laughs>
1: Oh, yeah, he would be, yeah, because he was already part of uh, Sons of Anarchy. So he has a bit of that energy already, yes. uh, that brooding, quiet kind of energy. And so, yeah, I think he would be a really excellent Drew or somebody of the same ilk would be a really great Drew. What I what I talked to the producer about, though, was making sure that whoever was cast in each of the parts, that we make sure that they're accessible uh, physically accessible I would say because in order I don't know about you but when I watch a tv show if the individuals who are playing the characters don't feel accessible to me in terms of their looks if they look maybe a, a bit more photoshopped in reality I mean there are those people who walk around and they look like they've been photoshopped but that's like actually what they look like and I mean god bless them that's amazing but what I would love for the book for the tv show is to have of people who look like everyday real people, so that they feel real. Because that's hopefully the sense that people get when they read the books, is that they're reading about real people, that this is real stuff that could have happened. And I want to carry that feeling through to the TV show as well, that I don't, I don't want everybody to be perfect. I want their flaws to shine through so that we can relate to them, right? I, that's the beauty of real people, is that they're they feel relatable they feel like friends they feel like somebody you know um but I might again I think before you even hit record I said let's not do the video because Lord knows the last time that I've left the house <laughs> and so nobody wants to do that but to have that that same kind of relatable feeling with uh the people in the TV show so I'm hopeful that whatever casting decisions they make they keep that in mind to ensure that they and I'm not implying at all that you know, gorgeous people aren't real people. It's just, um, I am going to go out on a limb here and say that they're maybe not as accessible or as approachable as, um, I wouldn't ask them for directions. I would be afraid of being blinded by their beauty. You know what I mean?
0: (laughs) No, I absolutely know what you mean. And I think that that is a really good point though. And I'm happy to hear that that was the conscious conversation because I do think it can get easily disheartening when you're looking through things like Instagram and you know, you're seeing all of these very, very beautiful people in magazines and on television that you're right. It is nice to sort of check that impulse to filter things and, and just make sure that, that, that level of reality is there.
1: Yeah. I, I, um, I have a hard time watching TV for that reason is I, I and maybe it's at this point though it's just a habit I don't watch a lot of tv I don't watch a lot of movies anymore um I have a lot going on so I think that that's definitely a part of it but sometimes we'll try and you know turn on the tv and I'm just thinking to myself as I watch these actors and actresses who are all just like physically beautiful I'm like who are these people like how did they get the the chances of that many beautiful people hanging out all at the same time and all having, you know, talent in one particular area that, again, this all goes back to the data, right? Like, what are the chances of that? Like, what, statistically, this is improbable, if not impossible. So, I mean, there's going to be at least one ugly friend in there. I mean, that's just the way it's got to be. So, yeah, no, no. So, yeah, I really wanted to make sure that uh there was some depiction of reality so that it could be a very accessible relatable TV show.
0: I love that and I I can't wait. I eagerly await more news on the Winston brothers uh, television show as well.
1: Yeah, me too. Uh the right strike just ended but I think the actor strike is still ongoing. So we'll see what we see.
0: Well, Penny, thank you so much for indulging this conversation, answering all the questions I had. It's been an absolute delight to learn more about, you know, everything you're doing and to hopefully introduce some of our listeners who, if for whatever reason, have not read any of your books, read all of your books so that we can all discuss.
1: (laughs) Oh, I, you know, thank you so much. But I I just want to put the blanket statement out there that if people don't enjoy my books, that makes total sense to me. It's like, Think of your absolute favorite book, right? So my absolute favorite book is Persuasion. My second absolute favorite book is, um, well, I guess trilogy is Lord of the Rings. And if you go to Goodreads, let's say, or any other review website, there's going to be people who hated that book. Like there's legitimately one-star reviews for Lord of the Rings, if you can fathom that. And That always makes me feel better because it's like not every book is for every person. So if you do pick up one of my books and you don't like it, that's totally fine.
0: Like no hard feelings. I'll still make
1: eye contact if we meet on the street. No worries.
0: (laughs) That's very generous. I will just maybe politely eye roll. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) But thank you so much, Penny. It's been such a delight to have you on the podcast today.
1: Thank you so much. It was so great talking to you and I really appreciate it. And um, I look forward to a time where we can talk again.
0: Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode on overdrive.com or in Libby. Our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen Podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Emma Dwyer and Joe Skelly and presented by Overdrive. To learn more, visit professionalbooknerds.com.